Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. All right, we're going to get right down to business on the show today. Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Walter Storholt here with David Dickens, President Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors. And on the previous episode of the show, we broke down the first five of 10 total retirement preparedness checklist items. That uh, These are questions, checklist items, if you will, that you should be thinking about, hopefully spark you to think critically about some of these moving parts in your own financial life. And if you can start getting concrete answers to some of these questions, well, it's going to help you out a lot when it comes to being prepared for retirement. So if you missed the first five, go back to the previous episode and listen to those as well. I don't know, David, they could probably just pick up right here and listen to six through 10 and then go back and do one through five. I don't know how much we'll be truly building off of that first episode, but... Uh, yeah, however, I don't think however, at all. These are, yeah. they're all, uh, there's no particular order to these. So hopefully, if you enjoyed last week, you're going to really enjoy these five. Yes, absolutely. All right, so let's let's dive into it. Number seven, I'm not going to recap all five. You got to go back and listen to the episode to get the, to get the other five. So we'll jump right in with the sixth item on the checklist here in part two of our conversation. Do I have a plan to combat inflation. I almost couldn't say the word combat there, David. (laughs) Uh, This, just like the one of the questions we had last week about market volatility, my goodness, this one is on more people's minds than ever, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. And it's been a decade or more since we really even gave inflation any consideration. But this last year has really been something. Food bill, gasoline bill, heating bill, they're all, they've all gone up. And now we've we believe we've peaked and we're starting to come down the other side. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your food prices are going to go back to where they were. They're going to have some, probably some stickiness to them. So part of the way that you can combat, I think uh, I'm getting ready to tell you that Social Security is a pretty good way to <laughs> combat inflation. And Social Security takes a lot of uh, grief or swats by people that say, well, it's, Social Security doesn't really mean that much to me. But it's one of the few pension plans that has a cost of living increase. So, And the COLA this year was more than 8%. So I know a lot of retirees that got a noticeable bump in their Social Security check because of this cost of living increase. If you're a Missouri teacher, you got a cost of living increase. If you're if you have a military pension, you got a cost of living increase. Certain annuities that you may own, most don't, but certain of them do have a cost of living increase or at least a potential cost of living increase built into them. But a Kansas teacher, well, sorry, your pension didn't go up. The vast majority of pensions I've ever seen didn't do not have any sort of cost of living increase to them. Here's why that's important. If inflation runs at three and a half percent over the next, say, 20 years, then your pension or your annuity will lose about half of its purchasing power over that period of time. You retire at age 65, maybe your pension or your annuity was going to pay you 30 grand a year. 20 years later, at age 85, that 30 grand a year only buys $15,000 worth of stuff in today's dollar. So you do need to have a plan to combat inflation. You clearly need to have your plan have inflation built into it so that you go into retirement with your eyes wide open to say, well, this is what my assets are going to have to do 10, 15 years from now 
just to make sure that I don't have to reduce my spending because of inflation. Now, one of the best inflation hedges that we know of is investing in the stock market, but it also has a lot of volatility attached to it. So having 80 or 85% of your money in the stock market because you think it's a good inflation hedge may not be the right thing for you based on your risk tolerance. But um, that's going to be one of the best ways to have some sort of cost of living increase, some sort of inflation protection built into your uh, plan is to have an allocation to the stock market. The other thing, if, if you have a, if you're looking at a long-term care policy or some sort of long-term care protection, a lot of those will give you the option that it costs a little bit more, but they'll give you an option of having a cost of living increase built into the benefit that you can get out of that policy. So inflation is, it, it was sleepy for more than a decade. It's right front and center right now. And what you want to make sure of is your plan has ways to combat inflation in the future if it stays relatively high in that 3 to 4% range, uh, like it's very likely going to be over the next year or two. Such an interesting discussion uh, to have something in the financial world like this that just kind of disappears from our radar for so long and then comes back with a vengeance when it does. But I guess that's the nature of it, right? Like no need to pay attention until infl to inflation until it becomes, um, you know, hitting you in the pocket every single day. Not saying you're not focusing on it even when it's kind of sitting in its dormant state, David, but the, the, the average person, sort of how we think about inflation, I think. Uh, let's yeah, when we model out a plan, for instance— yeah. Uh, we'll do a what if. I'll a lot of times do a what if that says, all right, so we built in uh, two and three quarters percent inflation. Let's just see what the result looks like if it's three and a half or four percent inflation. And when you flip to the end of the book, after you've made that change, it's pretty staggering what happens to a person's expenses at an inflation rate like that. So it it is an it can be a real eye opener when you look at inflation over a longer period of time, like your retirement. And that doesn't require you to do anything about it, but it does, I think it's super important to be aware of the eroding impact that inflation can have on your retirement income. Well, perhaps the cousin to number six is number seven. Um, it kind of uh, a lot of what you were just saying there, David, translates well to this next one, I think. And that would be uh, number seven on the checklist. Am I prepared for the possibility of future tax increases? Speaking of things that sort of nibble away at your portfolio. Yeah, for sure. And um, so most people are pretty well aware that we now have 31 trillion of government debt and interest rates are a lot higher than they were. So the government we, the taxpayer, are now paying way more in interest on that national debt than we have been paying for the last 10 years. And the national debt has grown a ton over the last four years, many trillions of dollars. So does that ever have to actually be paid off? Not really, but it can't keep growing at the rate that we're growing it. And so Congress really has to do one of two things. They need to reduce the amount that they spend or they need to increase the amount that they bring in. Now, if you've been around for a little bit of time, you know that Congress is horrible at reducing what they spend because they're giving away money to us, the electorate, and we like to vote for people that give stuff away. And so we're unlikely to have 
material cuts in benefits, what we're very likely to have are ways that Congress is going to increase the amount of taxes we pay. One way that's going to happen, I'm just convinced, is that the Trump tax cuts are going to be allowed to expire. And that's going to raise everybody's taxes, not just the, the trillionaires and the billionaires and the multimillionaires. Everybody's taxes are going up when the Trump tax cuts expire. Are there other taxes that are going to be levied? Yeah, probably. So right now you might know, because we've said it on these podcasts, the most of your Social Security that can be taxed is 85% of it. Well, that is highly likely to go to 100% at some point in the future. So there are ways that Congress is going to increase the amount of taxes that we pay because they're going to have to do that. And you'll want to make sure that 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 is built into your plan as well, especially if you have a lot of money in tax-deferred accounts, IRAs, 401ks, 403Bs, and annuities. All of those, you don't really know how much you're going to owe to the IRS because you don't know what they're going to do to tax rates in the future. And that's a risk for everybody. Yeah, it's uh, hard to plan for all these unknowns, but I know that's why we go through the process and you deal with the what ifs and put in different scenarios like you were outlining for those different inflation values and seeing the impact of all those moving parts and then, you know, trying to plan for, all right, now what's most realistic? Here's all the worst case scenarios. Let's look at the realistic path ahead. And uh, that's where you're able to start kind of reading through the tea leaves and saying, I am it pretty much looks like these tax cuts are going to expire. Let, let's build our plan most confidently around this element. Um, and it's helpful when you can view things through the proper lens like that. Uh, number eight on our checklist here, David, would be, do I have a plan to address health care costs? A lot of people like to stick their head in the sand when it comes to conversations about health care and long-term care and those kinds of things, don't they? They do. It's just not a, it's not a pleasant thing to think about. No. I, anytime we, can, we create a plan, one of the what-ifs that we put in is, well, what if one of you, let's say it's a married couple, what if one of you needs long-term care for four years when you turn 85. So we put that in as a what if, but the, the other important thing we do is if we're using an inflation factor of say two or two and a half percent for all of their other expenses, well, we'll use an inflation factor of say 5% on those healthcare costs because in America, healthcare tends to inflate at a higher rate than your other costs. So then all of a sudden they look and say, well, we thought we used to have a lot of money left over at 100, age 100. But now when we put that little twist in, we have a lot less. The question then becomes, what do I want to do about it? So I have a lot of clients that are self-insuring. They believe they're self-insuring and they're making a conscious choice to self-insure. They don't know if they're ever going to need this um, any t- type of long-term care or other, you know, healthcare big expenditures, but they're willing to self-insure it. And that's a perfectly fine strategy if your assets allow you to do that. I have other clients that have, for instance, a- an annuity that provides them income, but it also has a, he- a home healthcare doubler, which doubles that amount of income, usually for a period of four or five years, if they're unable to do two of the six activities of daily living. And those two of the six are what trigger most long-term care policies. So you can, you can find an annuity that will help you offset some of that 
potential increase to healthcare costs in the future. I have other clients that we put a life insurance policy in place that has an accelerated death benefit feature. And what that allows them to do is if they get into a spot where they need long-term care, for instance, the insurance company will front that death benefit to offset those costs of long-term care, which of course eats away at the ultimate death benefit, but it provides them for a, uh, for a, a fee, a cost, a premium, all during their healthy life. It provides them with a pocket of funds that they can go use to pay for long-term care. So those are the three ways that I can think of doing it. There are probably more, but my encouragement here is to make sure that you model it out and you make a conscious decision to do one of those three. And as, as we've often said on these podcasts, hope isn't a strategy. So don't just hope you're not going to need it. Uh, go through a little bit of analysis to say, if I do, or if my spouse does, what's our plan? Great points across the board here, David. We're talking about those uh, things that you need to do, this retirement checklist to see how well-prepared you are for that phase of life. How can your portfolio stand up to the rigors of the financial landscape out there? Uh, we've gone through eight so far on our part one and part two series here. Number nine is, should I pay off my mortgage? How big of a deal is it to make that a goal or carry one into retirement? Is that a common question you get, David? It is, uh, and way less than, I mean, I was going to say way less than half of my clients. I have a relatively small percentage of my clients that enter retirement with a mortgage. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're 30 or 40 or 50, it's a, it's a really good idea to have your mortgage paid off before you enter retirement. But it's not a killer if you don't. Think of your mortgage payment. If you look on your statement, you're going to see that it has four components, principal, repayment, interest, taxes, and insurance. Well, three of those things aren't affected by your paying off your mortgage. You're still going to have an insurance payment. You're still going to owe taxes. And the principal you pay every month, well, that's just money that's going from your checking account into your home equity account. It's an asset of yours either way. It's just changing places on your net worth statement. So the only thing you're saving is the interest component of your monthly mortgage. So when you look at it that way and you say, well, if that's all I can save, then I'm not going to get too worried about paying off my mortgage. Another strategy that I've encouraged a couple of my clients to do is, and now with, with rates higher, it's a little trickier to do, but maybe look at refinancing your mortgage in or near retirement out to a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, for instance. That sounds kind of crazy, Dave. Well, actually, all you're really trying to do is get the lowest possible payment in retirement if you're not otherwise able to pay off your mortgage. So instead of staying with, a, with an old mortgage that might have 10 years to go, get a new mortgage with 30 years to go. If your payment is less, you can pay that mortgage off anytime you want. You can accelerate the payoff, etc. But extending it out accomplishes your goal, which is I want a lower outflow from my checking account every month because of my mortgage. And then if you have a low fixed rate mortgage, <laughs> I probably encourage you to do nothing. What you'd be doing is taking money out of, let's say, for instance, an otherwise productive investment account 
which ought to be earning more than 2% or 3, 3.5% a year, and paying off a low fixed rate mortgage at 2, 25 3, 3.5%. And that doesn't seem like, in most cases, that doesn't seem like a good financial strategy for me. So it's a simple question with a complicated answer, and it has a lot to do with with your attitude toward having a mortgage in retirement, but also the numbers involved in having a monthly mortgage payment in retirement. Really good there, David. And I know that that's one of those questions that a lot of people are going to have on their list and some good direction to at least begin that conversation. All right, last but not least, we've reached number 10, the last question on our retirement preparedness checklist to get your 2023 planning off to a good start. Do I have any current investments or products I don't fully understand? I'm sure (laughs) it would not be the first time if somebody walked into your office, David, and turned over their portfolio and said, I don't know what this thing is. And I, I can't quite remember why I got into this investment or product or stock or whatever it may be. I can pretty much say that I've never met with a person that understood, that fully understood everything in their portfolio. <laughs> so, so anyway, the two things that are most misunderstood other than, I mean, people really don't understand. Honestly, they don't understand bonds. They really don't understand the mutual funds they have. And if they own individual stocks, most times they don't know why they own them. They just feel good about them. But that being said, the two areas I want to cover real quickly are annuities and life insurance policies. So I have rarely met a person that owns an annuity and knows exactly what they own. And these income roll-up numbers. I have people tell me all the time, well, my annuity has a guaranteed interest rate of seven or seven and a half or eight percent. And I look them straight in the eye and say, no, it doesn't. Because it doesn't. Uh, So if you, if, if, if you're looking at your, your iPhone right now saying, Dave doesn't know what he's talking about because I have one of those annuities, you do not. And so I'd encourage you to get some help from somebody who understands what you have. I'm not saying it's the wrong product. I'm just saying you don't understand it and you don't know the benefits and the costs that are involved in it. Sounds a little harsh, but I'm just convinced you don't, you don't know that or else you would know that you are not earning a guaranteed interest rate of seven, seven and a half or eight percent. Life insurance policies. I have a lot of clients that have life insurance policies and they don't really know how they work. And in particular, they didn't understand when they bought them that the premium was going to keep going up as they age. Well, that's a perfectly fine policy to own, especially if let's say you took your pension, but you didn't include your spouse as you know, if you were to die early, he or she doesn't get anything out of that pension. Well, I have a number of clients that said, that's what we're going to do because I don't expect to die young. But if I do, I'm going to have a life insurance policy that provides a big chunk of tax-free money to my spouse if I die young. Well, that's a perfectly fine strategy, but a lot of times you forget that that premium is going to keep going up each year as you get older and closer to life expectancy. So there are perfectly great ways to get around that, but it's it's one attribute of a life insurance policy that a lot of people just don't remember, and they get a little exercised about it each year when that premium goes up. So understand what you have, look through your portfolio, 
if you're, you know, pretty well read and pretty in tune, you probably pretty much understand what you have. But if you're looking through your policy, your uh, 401k statement or your IRA rollover, and you still have a, a target date maturity fund that's 2060, well, either you're a very high risk tolerance person or you don't know what you own. So I'd encourage you to make sure that you do know what you own. And if you're not sure, then get some help. Great point. And that's probably good for not just number 10 here, but any of the wins that we addressed over the last two episodes. If you're not sure, reach out and ask David, and he can help you get clarity on any of these questions. So if you don't have concrete answers on things like, hey, when I retire, which account should I start withdrawing from from first? Hey, what is longevity risk? Am I sure that my money's going to last as long as I do? Am I ready for more inflation in the future? What about market volatility this year? Did I react to it well last year? If you don't have those concrete answers, or you still have remaining questions about these things as it applies to your particular situation, all good little flags, not red flags, but just little flags that say, hey, maybe reach out, have a conversation, and get some guidance on all of these elements. By the way, this 10-point checklist, nowhere near a comprehensive total retirement planning uh, scope, but a great starting list, I think. And if you can nail down these 10 things, well, then you're starting to get pretty close to being prepared for retirement. So uh, get off on a better foot this year and as you work your way through 2023 by having an advisor on your side who can help bring more and more clarity to your financial planning in the Kansas City area or really from wherever you are, you can reach out to David Dickens, of course. Coveryourassetskc.com, the place to go, or give him a call at 913-317. 1414. And we're going to put that contact info in the description of today's show, as we always mention, so you can find it easily. David, thanks for breaking all these down on this two-parter. Enjoy the conversations with you, and uh, we'll look forward to a chat next week. Yeah, we've got some good uh, listener questions. So we'll uh, we'll do a round of those next week, and uh, those are always kind of fun to see what people are thinking about. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so I much for too. your help on talk the show, David. Week. And uh, we'll talk to everybody again next time, right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.